transition. Transition can be tricky for pastors. I, I put Joe right at the top of the pack there. Getting from point A to point B. So before we start, just a couple things. As we begin praying for the new year, I begin thinking travel was in the new year for me. Not because I had a lot of invitations, but because I just felt it. I felt I had two prophetic words from two ends of the city that I would be carrying seeds of revival. And uh, it was exactly the same word. And so I do feel in some way that something is going to happen, that I will be carrying seeds of revival out there and around here. I expect to get a get a call from uh, North Central um, uh, because they wanted me to speak there. I really look forward to speaking on campuses. So if I get to go there, then I'm going to talk to Lauren over at Bethel because I already met with her and say, hey, and now can I have my turn at Bethel and then at Northwestern? I'm looking forward to speaking. So uh, the bottom line is that, that uh, the calls have started coming in now, and I'll be gone uh, probably about every other week uh, in the new year. And I'm saying this to you, usually I, when I'm going to be gone, I don't say anything because I noticed with my father, when my father was away, some of the people took that chance to be away. So what I'm saying to you is I hope that my not being here gives you an even stronger commitment to what's happening here, that uh, you'll see this place as a place of opportunity. I feel strongly have felt for years that our influence will outweigh our size, that we're going to have influence. I think this year we're going to see an influence that goes out from Lydia House, and I'd appreciate your prayers. Some of them are local, some of them are regional, and some of them are international. In February, Joe and I and uh, Gary Gilbertson and Bob and a guy from Iowa will be going to Uganda, and then in May going to Brazil. Those are the two international ones so far. But uh, I, uh, prayer makes a big difference. And uh, Nate just asked me a couple of weeks ago, am I on? Uh, is this? Is okay, pick it up. So do I need it? Do I need this? All right, you're okay? Okay. Uh, uh, he said I'm fine. So uh, Nate just mentioned uh, maybe it's time for us to bring a group of intercessors together. I really resonate to that because uh, we need people that are uh, leading the way with prayer. So if, if you feel called to that in this season, Nate or I would like to hear from you, and we'll get a team of powerful prayers together to uh, lead the way. Nate and I were, uh, I'll go ahead and you can start now. Nate and I were meeting on Wednesday with a group of leaders around the city, pastors in our my study, and I said something about suffering. And Bill Goodwin, who's pastor at Lighthouse Church in Rosemont, he said, I'd really like to have you come down and share that in our church because it struck him as so different than how we normally view suffering. Suffering has been embraced as a value in China. I saw a list of five values among leaders in China, and the fifth one was the value of 
suffering. Paul would agree with that. He values suffering. So I'm talking today about suffering. And let me ask you a question. What's the book that you would say would be the happiest, the most joyful of all the books that uh, the letters that Paul wrote? What 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 letters? You say Philippians. Anybody else? The the book that uses the word joy, joyful, or rejoicing more than any other per capita is the book of Philippians. It's on every page. It's strong. How did that church start? How was he led? How did it happen that he went into prison? He was, he was being beaten. He and Silas were taken by a crowd, and it said they beat him multiple times. So he wasn't feeling it here. He was feeling it here. He was feeling it all over his body. They beat him up. Then they threw him in the inner prison. Then they locked him in locks. Now picture that happening today. We'd send out an SOS. Say it happened to me. Paul has been beaten up. And there would be much concern expressed. People would be praying. People would be visiting. And I would be perhaps in torment, or at emergency. So what's Paul doing? It's midnight, and no one is visiting him. There are other prisoners in prison, and what do they hear Paul doing? He sings. He can't read the song sheet because one eye is swollen shut. But he knows the song by heart. He says to Silas, hey, let's sing Good, Good Father. Do you know that song? Let's sing that. Okay, let's sing how great thou art. And they're singing. Do the other prisoners hear him? It says all the prisoners heard him. What kind of impact do you think that had on them? They saw him come in. He's beaten up. Probably had some broken. I would guess if they're beating him, a mad crowd is beating him with rods, he's not feeling good. He's feeling beat up. Now, I put in my notes after studying Philippians that it's not so much about our circumstances as about ourselves. Would you say that's true? It's not as much about our circumstances as about ourselves. Okay, think about his circumstances. Is that true for him? See, he embraced suffering to the point that that is absolutely true. It was not about his circumstances. So he said, well, what do I do? I'm going to sing. I'm going to praise the Lord. He, he did. He let go of the suffering that he was experiencing, and he took it as a gift from God. So I'm going to share with you the value of suffering today out of Philippians, and we're going to look at five things about suffering. First of all, suffering is a gift. Say it with me. Paul says, he's writing to the Philippians. They know how it got to where he is. He's, where is he writing from? He's writing from prison. He's in prison as he pens this. And he says, for it has been given to us on behalf of Christ. Two things. Not only to believe in his name, but also to suffer for his sake. Two things we're given. We're given belief, and we are 
forgiven suffering. That's a different outlook. That's a different take on suffering that we normally. We normally take it as a burden to bear rather than a gift to receive. And so I'm asking you today in faith, at the beginning of the message, I'm going to give you five points, but I'm asking us now if we would, as best we can, to receive suffering. I'm going to stop and pray. Because China has received it as a gift, and it's a value to them. They hardly regard a pastor who hasn't spent some time in prison. Because they know you will be in prison if you do what you're told to do. And so they value those who have embraced suffering. So I'm just going to pray now. Father, this is different. It's different for me. It's different for us. Teach us what this means. And teach us how we can do it without a morbid outlook that we can receive it as something special, as something as a gift. And help me as I share this, that that it will bring the fruit of righteousness in the midst of real hardship. In Jesus' name, amen. So I asked Naomi. I was studying this and she was next to me. I said, why is that so? And I began to quote from Romans 5, verse 3 and 4. I said, because suffering produces, and what did she say? What did you, what did you say? Yes, you do. You do it. You said it. You said it without even me saying it. Suffering produces, it's a long word. No, it's perseverance, yeah, endurance. Endurance in the RSV, perseverance in the NIV. And perseverance produces character. character. Yes, character. And character produces hope. Okay. Perseverance is what we all need to run this race. It's the quality most mentioned for end-time Christians. Endurance, perseverance. That's pretty important. It's not a sprint, is it, Jeremy? It's not a sprint. It's a a marathon. You 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 don't come off the block on a marathon. doesn't matter how you start. You can be in fifth place. You can be in hundredth place. But if you finish strong. My kids asked me after I ran a marathon, did you win, Dad? I said, yes, I finished strong. Just kidding. And we want people to finish strong. And that's what you, so you need endurance. You need character because we can have all the charisma in the world. But we had two guys that came and spoke at Trinity. They had charisma. All they lacked was character. <laughs> and both of them divorced their wives, and one of them left town. He didn't have character. He had charisma. We need character. And we need hope, because hope anchors us in the midst of hard times. Those are valuable things. How do they come? By suffering. Suffering is a gift, because it produces something in us that is so valuable. Second, suffering throws us for a day. Paul says in, in Philippians 1, I want you to know, brethren, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known in the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ and that most of the brethren have become confident because of my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. So it, it accomplished two things. It brought people to faith in the palace guard. Can you imagine? 
what he's here for? Jesus Christ. Wasn't he that Galilean that got crucified? Yeah, you Romans did it. But he rose from the dead. And that's real. Yeah, he did. He appeared to me on the way to Damascus. I was, I was struck blind, but then three days later I could see. So he tells him a little bit more about this. The guy comes to faith, and he said, how much longer are you on duty? About 30 minutes. So I'm looking forward to the next one. It has become known throughout the whole palace guard. Paul got locked to prisoners, not to prisoners, but to Roman guards, day and night, day and night, for however long he was there, maybe over a year. They all heard and heard the message coming from the prison. So he saw his imprisonment as a positive thing in his life. Four times he mentions imprisonment in the first chapter. Hardship, if you respond to it rightly, will show you serve well. Can you embrace that in your heart? Some of you are going through really hard times. I know the Volkers have been going through hard times, things related to uh, internal, external. It's a tough time for them. We want to we stand with people who are suffering. We just, we just don't want to say, well, he's going to get thrown for a game. Bear up. No, we comfort one another. We encourage one another. But we understand that suffering can throw us for a game. Third, suffering changes the game plan. Paul says in, first, in, his, in the first chapter, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So if one of those soldiers said, I'm going to kill you, what would Paul say? Whoopee! And that he wouldn't understand, of course. He'd say, what are you talking about? Well, that'll just put me in the presence of the Lord immediately. How do you deal with a guy like that? You kill him, it doesn't make any difference to him. I mean, it, it, it actually, he likes it better. For us, it's not about live or die. It's about obey or disobey. So threats don't change our situation. Suffering doesn't change our situation. In fact, suffering enhances our situation. We don't look for it. We don't pray for it. Communitas, years ago, I remember guys saying, I want to be a martyr. I want to be a martyr. Don't pick your future. You don't pick your, your, your future. God will pick your future. If you're called to be a martyr, then you'll be ready for that. But don't ask. And uh, then it can get kind of weird. Ch suffering changes the game plan. Fourth, Christ embraced suffering. Now, I could say, so we wouldn't have to. But that isn't true. Christ embraced suffering so we could. Did not the Christ have to suffer and enter into his glory? And so Paul says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship. Do you know the fellowship of his suffering? I think I know, I don't know if I know one better than the other, but I 
Paul wanted to know the fellowship of his suffering. So there's something when we go through suffering that draws us close to Christ because he's a rejected Christ. He's a rejected. He knows us. We know him. And it draws us and we experience rejection for the gospel and we experience pain for helping others. Then there's something that we receive that we don't get by just knowing the power of it. Well, let's embrace it. As something that we want, we want to experience. We want to embrace suffering because Christ embraced suffering. And finally, in the fourth chapter, he says, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. That means that the situation is what we deal with. We deal with our response to it. The situation for Paul didn't matter, whether it was high or low, whether he had plenty or had want. It, it made no difference to Paul whether he had a lot or a little, whether he was beaten up or whether he wasn't. It wasn't the situation. It was his response to it. Do you agree with that? Is that possible for us to say that, that the situation will not change my outlook? It's how I understand it. So let's embrace not the situation, but let's embrace an outlook that says, I can live with plenty or with want. I can live in good times. I'm not going to complain. If it's not good, I'm, I'm not going to complain if it's hard. I'm not going to complain if people come against me. Because God is doing something good in me, and I rejoice in that. So, Father, thank you that you have something really good to work in us through the difficulties of life, through the hardship of life, through the sorrows of life through circumstances that aren't to our choosing, but either you gave them to us or you allowed them to come, and you are going to use all things. And so we can say in, in everything, I give thanks. I give thanks in the midst of everything because you are at work. I pray, God, that in the days ahead, you will remind us of this during difficult times. You will, you will help us to see the power of an outlook that doesn't just look for happy times, but looks for God to be at work in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, let's uh, pull around.